Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. We got some exciting news today. It is Thursday, October 12th, just for the record of the exciting news. Um, I just happened to like look at the Spotify podcast true crime page, like the front page. Each, each section has kind of like a little editorial thing where it's like editor's picks or like Virgo Killers, and I'll have some featured episodes and podcasts. So I just happened to look randomly, and I was scrolling through, and our episode about Ruby Frankie was listed as an editor's pick, and it was so exciting. So unexpected, too. We didn't know it was happening, so I'm so glad you saw it. (laughs) I know. Like, what if I didn't look? Now I'm going to look all the time. But yeah, we had no idea. I just happened to look, and I saw it at work, and I was literally like, like, I couldn't even believe it. I was like, wait. We did it. We finally like made it. <laughs> finally got to the front page of Spotify. <laughs> I was so excited. So that is really cool. Um, we have noticed that I think we've been getting more people because of the Spotify algorithm. So if you're new here, hello. Welcome. My name is Stephanie. The <laughs> Australian one is Olivia. <laughs> Sometimes people get confused. They just refer to us as the Australian one or the American one. <laughs> yeah, when people leave us reviews that are like me, they'll be like, the American is so annoying. <laughs> Which, fair. But so this is our podcast, True Crime Society. Started as a Facebook group. We have a cool Instagram if you haven't been there yet. Um, I would definitely give us a follow if you are interested. Um, a little note about the podcast. It's definitely more of a casual, conversational, lighthearted true crime podcast, not a very like serious, scripted, scripted one. produced one. It is just me and Olivia, really, who work on the podcast. So um, if you're into more serious podcasts, this ain't it. But I wouldn't call I wouldn't say it's like a, a true crime humor podcast no. either. Like we're not that silly. Also, if you ever don't want to listen to the intro, we usually chat for a couple minutes about whatever's going on in our lives because some people do like us and like to know what's going on. We put a timestamp in the episode description, so you can just click that and it will bring you to the start of the crime content. So we try to cater to everyone as best we can. Yes, we try our best. But we're just a couple of of nice gals who (laughs) like, like crimes. And please don't be mean to us because <laughs> our feelings get hurt. <laughs> yeah, definitely welcome. If you're new and you've found us, we'd love to hear about if you are new, how you did find us, send us a message on Instagram and let us know. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else to know? 
We do have quite large communities on all social media. So we've got a big Instagram page and uh, Instagram page and Facebook group and page. So whatever your preference is, you can check us out there too for more crime discussion. Yes. And we do have a Patreon for when you listen to a few more episodes and you become totally obsessed with us. <laughs> you could check that out. <laughs> yeah. You get exclude we do an extra Patreon episode every week as well as ad free and early release of our main episodes. So I've got a little bonus on there. Yeah. And on Patreon it kind of is its own community like Everyone can comment on there. We do posts on there. I did just make a chat <laughs> so we could we could have a chat. I sent pictures of Peep on it. Peep is my cat for oh, those who don't know. about that. <laughs> Peep is um, the third host of this, not by any choice of mine. <laughs> she just forces herself on. She is sitting here with her back to me right now. She's insulted. <laughs> but if you ever hear a little meow or a loud meow in the background, it is my cat Peep. I do have another cat named Freshbutt. He he's more quiet and polite. Peep is rude. So if you hear a cat meowing and you're like, "Is there a cat in my car?" If there's there's probably not. There could be. Maybe but it's probably check. not. Yeah, just have a have a quick look. But it's probably just Peep being rude. <sighs> All right, I guess we'll get into the episode. We're going to talk about a few very mysterious missing people. I have. I love hate with mysterious missing people because I just hate not knowing what happened. Two are kind of current and one is older, but all of them at the time of recording are still missing. Um, so if anything happens after this, we'll update you. But yeah, they are all very mysterious and unexplained. The first we're going to talk about is Jared Shadid. He is a 27-year-old immigration attorney and he's been missing since July 30th, 2023. And it's just a strange one. There is not a lot of information about his case, but the information there is makes it very puzzling. A key piece of evidence has been found in the case of a missing immigration attorney. During a trip to Seattle at the end of last month, 27-year-old Jared Shadid checked into an Airbnb but never returned. He left nearly all his belongings behind in the Squire Park property. Well, now investigators have found Shadid's car, but not in Seattle, in an L.A. neighborhood. Neighbors confirm that car has been parked for several days without being moved. Jared is one of my best friends from law school. I'm his only connection in L.A., but where we found his car, there's no reason for him to be there. We also have new video right here into our newsroom showing Shadid entering the Airbnb from the building's doorbell camera. His car will be impounded with the search for Shadid now stretching down the West Coast. So a little about him, he is originally from Baltimore. He attended Forest Hills High School before moving on to NYU for his bachelor's degree. And during his time at NYU, he interned at Common Cause in Washington, D.C. He also worked as a non-resident research intern at the Hudson Institute in Washington, in Washington, D.C. from February to July 2017. Um, he then worked as a business immigration writer at Kramer, Levin, Naftalitz, and Frankel LLP. They always got to use all the names and drive me crazy. <laughs> when I worked at a law firm, there was this one girl who would call from another law firm. Or like when we would call that law firm, she'd have to pick up the phone every time and be like, Kramer, Levin, Naftalitz, Frankel, John, Smith, <laughs> LLP. <laughs> it's very long. Um, and that was in New York from May 2017 to July 2018. He then pursued his Master of Laws at Duke University School of Law 
He even ventured to Tokyo, working as a summer associate from May to June 2019. He went on to further his studies by working as a law clerk at Duke University from May to August 2020, and continued. It's like, must be so accomplished. I'm exhausted. The age of 27, he's done all of this. It's very, very accomplished. His education continued with a doctor of law at Duke University School of Law, and he eventually worked as a law clerk at Grossman, Young, and Hammond LLC in in Bethsida, Maryland. So like Olivia said, very accomplished, a lot going for him. Seemed like he was a very hard worker and dedicated to his career. And knew what he wanted to do. Like he'd been on that path for a very long time. It wasn't like he thought, kind of thought, oh, he seemed like he was working towards being an immigration attorney basically from the time he started his university schooling. Yeah, from like high school when he graduated. This is info about the firm he worked for. That's from their website. It says Grossman Young and Hammond is an internationally recognized immigration law firm whose foremost goal is transcending borders for our clients, whether that means securing a work visa for a corporate executive, a candidate with critical technical skill, or a trailblazing researcher guiding you to lawful status in the United States based on investment, representing individuals in deportation proceedings, or advising activists, persecuted individuals, or other attorneys on human rights issues, asylum, and Interpol matters. We have the experience and knowledge you deserve. Jared's family have said that he was living his dream working at the firm in Washington, D.C. Despite that, in summer of 2023, he quit his job, but he was still licensed to practice law in Baltimore and Washington, D.C. We know that Jared packed up his white Volkswagen Tiguan with D.C. plates and headed off on a cross-country road trip. Jared's friend Sierra has made some posts online. Um, She wrote, He wanted to do a cross-country road trip, and music blogging is one of his side hobbies. He covers different concerts. However, he would normally let everyone know about his whereabouts. That was not the case this time around. He did a couple of road trips. He went to Nashville. He went to Indiana. So I think he was just checking out new places. So we know that Jared stayed in Airbnbs in Forks, Washington, and L.A. on his trip. His last known movement is on July 30th. Jared was seen on CCTV checking into an Airbnb in Capitol Hill area of Seattle. The images have been released that they have. He seems like alone. He's just carrying his stuff going into the Airbnb. It's like a doorbell cam. Um, It's a ring. Yeah, nothing doesn't look anything out of the ordinary or suspicious or anything like that. Yeah. So Jared took his phone, bags, and laptop into the property. Someone who lives in the area of the Airbnb wrote this comment on Facebook after it was known that he was missing. They said, we live beside the Airbnb and have footage of him leaving at 1.16 p.m. on July 30th. Not returning. I checked all of our footage. Wearing glasses, a light blue shirt, black shorts, and carrying a black tote bag. Can send you our ring video footage. We just heard about this yesterday evening. Otherwise, would have sent earlier. Saw luggage outside the Airbnb for a few days and thought it was very odd, but no one came to pick it up until recently. It's very, like, I have questions about that because they said he put his luggage in. I guess maybe the Airbnb owner left it out the front when he didn't come back, but it seems like his luggage for some reason was out the front of the Airbnb. And also, I don't think we've said it yet, but it says how he basically left all his stuff behind. Mm. So if he's leaving with this bag, what was in the bag? Yeah, in the black tote bag. I, I, yeah, I wonder, 
Yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of questions too, but we, we don't know the answer. Like maybe he left all that inside. Maybe that was his laptop he was carrying in the bag or something. But yeah, it's a lot, raises a lot more questions. Yeah. Um, Jared's cousin, Patrice Morgan, spoke to the media about how they discovered he was missing. Police stated Shadid was at an Airbnb and left the Airbnb abandoned and did not return to check out. She said based on the account of a woman who was listed as his emergency contact for the rental. I don't know why I'm confused by well, that. Basically, I think that Patrice spoke to whoever the woman was and the woman said that she was contacted and said that the Airbnb was abandoned. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah. I was just thrown off because I was like, wouldn't like his cousin know whose emergency contact is? But, but I guess maybe like they a- just didn't want to have it listed in the article. Yeah. yeah. Or it was like a girlfriend yeah. or maybe something like that. Um, For him to go off the grid like this is very much unlike him and makes no sense, said Patrice. So we haven't been able to find any info on how long he was meant to stay at the Capitol Hill property, but on August 8th, Seattle police contacted his family to let him know that he was missing, which is kind of a long time. Is that like when they noticed? But I guess like that's maybe let's just say he was meant to stay there till August 6th. Like that's only a few days after. I would love to know how long he was meant to stay there for, but that just isn't public. Maybe maybe it was like a week because it's basically a week after he was checking in yeah that they seem to have noticed on thursday august 17th jared's volkswagen was found in la's atwater village neighborhood police believe it was parked there on august 4th what day was he seen leaving the 30th the f- july 30 so it's five five it's like when days. he got there basically yeah yeah he left like straight away he left the day he checked in the vehicle even had a parking ticket on the windshield since it hadn't been moved for days investigators say that the keys were found in the vehicle as well Google Maps says that this area is around a 16-hour drive between Capitol Hill and Atwater Village. So that that's strange. That is very far. Jared's friends have since left a note on the windshield written that says, in part, if you see this, please know that your friends miss you and we love you. When Jared's family and friends started looking into his last movements, they discovered that he hadn't paid his rent in his D.C. apartment since July 3rd. So basically that last month he didn't pay for. Police have said that as Jared left all his devices behind in Seattle. There's no digital trail for them to follow after July 30th. Which I think is a bit weird because surely he could still somehow access his email, his banking. Like, I feel like even though he doesn't have the devices, there are other ways. Like, he could get a new phone and access his email. Like, I feel like by saying there's no digital trail, that's a bit misleading. But that is what the articles are reporting. They probably just mean they can't physically track him, I would guess. Because I would hope that they'd be like, let's see if he's logged into anything. Mm. When investigators spoke to Jared's friends to try to find out more, they discovered that many of them hadn't heard from him since December 2022. Jared's friends say that he enjoys traveling and described him as an explorer, but believe he may have taken time off in need of a break. Sierra spoke about Jared leaving his belongings behind. She said, leaving the phone? Definitely not. But the laptop too, because he's into writing and he's working on a book. So he left the laptop behind as well. Another college friend said we're here to support him find him and we're willing to do everything that we can to make sure he's okay that same friend said we've been trying to gather a community in seattle to help us find jared and truly get the police to be in contact with us she had been searching for jared by calling hospitals and mental health facilities in the seattle area she said we truly respect jared and his personal time that he has for himself you know but him being missing for 19 days now is very concerning. And obviously that's quite old now. He's been missing for a lot longer. But. Yeah. Um, she said, Jared has a big tribe behind him, whether he wants to believe it or not. We're here to support him, find him, and we're willing to do everything 
that we can to make sure he is okay. I feel like the way the friends have been responding make it seem like they know he could have been struggling with his mental health maybe. Like a lot Very of we love you notes. and there's no talk of anyone else being involved. Um, like I know when we did Johanna's case a little while ago, there was talk about maybe the Uber driver was involved. In this case, I haven't seen anything else. It's all seems to focus on that he possibly was struggling with his mental health. Yeah, I think it's interesting or telling that she said he has a big tribe behind him, whether he believes it or not. Yeah. So maybe he was feeling alone or something and they knew that. Um, so there's a GoFundMe set up for him, which has raised almost $3,000. On the GoFundMe, it says, Hi, we're friends and family of Jared Shadid. There's a missing since July 30th, 2023. We've created this page to raise funds to retain the services of a private investigator to expedite the search for our loved one. His car was most recently found in LA in Atwater Village. He was last seen on July 30th, 2023 in Seattle leaving his Airbnb and didn't return. He left his laptop, phone, and luggage. So as of the time of recording, there has been very little media coverage about Jared since his car was found in August. And Jared is of African-American and Lebanese descent with brown eyes, dark brown hair. He is 5'7 and weighs 150 pounds. He also has a couple of tattoos, including a dragon on his right calf, a Roman column on the inside of his arm, and a portrait of his mother on his shoulder. His friends have said he likes to visit coffee shops, museums, hiking trails, and concerts. I feel that um, by the article saying that he hasn't spoken to some of his friends since December 2022 indicates that there might have been a lot going on for him this year. You know, quitting his amazing career, um, you know, leaving to drive across country. I just feel like it does sound to me that there was possibly a mental break that happened with Jared or that was in the process of happening. Um, I do think like often in missing persons cases, I don't think that the person could be alive. I do think there is a good chance he could still be alive. Um, and just either, you know, he may not even know who he is. He may be purposefully not coming forward. Reminds me of Johannes a bit just Mm. with the having like this amazing career. And and also the pressure, the high pressure career. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Just the pressure. Sometimes it just gets to you and you feel so burnt out especially not that I have a career that is nearly as much pressure but just sometimes when you feel so overworked and burnt out and then on top of the kind of shitty state the world is in right now and you just feel like everything is weighing down on you I feel like all the pressure can start to really weigh on you. One kind of small point that I do find interesting is that they said that they know based on his Airbnb records so that was obviously before he went missing that he did stay in Los Angeles so then essentially he's driven back to Los Angeles I wonder if there's a reason for that does he know someone there what like obviously we have no idea but what the reasoning was for him to head back there yeah I'm always so curious about not jumping ahead and saying that this is a suicide or anything but just had me thinking even with like Alan White, which we don't know if it's a suicide either, but just with Johannes too, people's last movements before they decide to do it. Cause it's like, what, like why book an Airbnb? Why bring all this stuff? Or was it like he was trying to just take a break and get away from everything? And, even and then why go and unpack all happened? your stuff? Like take it all into the Airbnb. Even if he booked it and he you know, decided he didn't want to show up or whatever, that's a different story. But then taking all your stuff in and leaving on the same day that you do that. Um, yeah, it's it's Did very he leave unusual. the luggage outside. Well, I don't know because it says that he took 
the stuff in, but then that person who lives next to the Airbnb says it was outside. So I don't know if the Airbnb, if he did, he could have left it outside or if the mm-hmm. Airbnb owner maybe put it outside when he didn't check out, for example, or something, maybe, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of questions yeah. around that. I'm not sure. I, I haven't been able to clarify that anywhere. Yeah. Just like what happened when he got to the Airbnb that mm. he was like, all right, well, I'm leaving now. So yeah, there's no updates. The last articles are a month ago. They were the most recent ones. Um, I did Ciara or Kiara, who you were mentioning, who has been posting online. I did respond to one of her comments online and ask if there was anything new. That was about five days ago and she hasn't written back. So as far as we know, there is nothing new to share in Jared's case, unfortunately. Yeah. So the next one we're going to talk about is Prisma Reyes. This one, she went missing in 2019, so this one isn't as current, but still unsolved and mysterious. On a spring day in April 2019, 26-year-old Prisma Reyes vanished. I just don't see how, and I've said it before, how somebody can just disappear like smoke in the wind. She comes over here, she's on the phone. These are the last images of her. Her stepfather says just before she disappeared, she was calling a bunch of people she knew. She was confused. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know what was going on. She thought she was talking to one person, but she was actually talking to somebody else. Mesquite Police Detective Dustin Barrett has been on the case since the beginning when they got a 911 call from Prisma's babysitter saying she hadn't picked up her little boy. That triggered a missing persons report. So the first video we have of her is here at the E-Bar. Detective Barrett walks us she, through the videos uh, from that day she disappeared in Dallas. Nothing too terribly unusual. She is on a lunch break from her job at a car dealership in Mesquite and having lunch with her ex-boyfriend. We have them on camera during that. He leaves. She goes back inside the E-Bar. Prisma stayed for another three hours until the bartender refused to serve her any more drinks and she was upset. Have her leaving the Evar. Prisma got into her white Jeep and phone records track her initially heading back to Mesquite, but then turning around and going back to Dallas. According to a Dallas police report, three witnesses say a woman in a white Jeep pointed a gun at them. They call police. The next video shows Prisma arriving at the Olympus on Ross Apartments. She parks right there. It looks like an alleyway. Yeah. But it is a street and she's blocking it. Where her ex-boyfriend that she was having lunch with lives. So she runs through the gate and then she goes to stand by the elevator. This is where she calls a bunch of people. We spoke to everybody on her phone records list that she called leading up to her disappearance. All of them tell us that she sounds upset. So we've been following her case since she went missing, and our friend Amy, she has a Facebook group called Attempt to Locate, and missing people are kind of her thing specifically. She did um, a good write-up for us on this case for our blog, if you want to check that out. So Prisma was 26 years old when she vanished on April 17th, 2019 from Mesquite, Texas. Prisma was working as a paralegal, and she was a member of the National Guard. Prisma held dual citizenship in the U.S. and Mexico, as her father was originally from Veracruz, Mexico. She moved to the U.S. as a young child and became fluent in English over one summer. So that is very hard to do that quickly. She earned a scholarship and attended a math and science magnet school. In 2014, Prisma gave birth to a son named Dominic. Um, her brother Rudy said that Dominic was her whole life. Everything she did, she kept striving for to try to make everything better for him. 
We believe that Dominic's father is a man named Arturo. He and Prisma did not stay together after the birth of Dominic. So the day that Prisma vanished was April 17th, 2019. What we know happened that day is that Prisma went to lunch with an ex-boyfriend, and some reports say that man is named Ryan. The couple seemed to have a toxic on-and-off-again relationship, and it's rumored that Ryan was abusive towards Prisma. The venue that they went to for lunch, it was called E-Bar Tex-Mex Restaurant in the 1900 block of Haskell Avenue in Mesquite. So while the two were at lunch, they had a fight, and it's thought that this fight started after Prisma made a phone call outside of the restaurant. This made Ryan very unhappy, and apparently he just up and left their date. Sounds like he was jealous for whatever reason. Yeah, sounds like a dick. (laughs) Mesquite Police Detective Dustin Barrett told WFAA, said, we have them on camera during that. He leaves, and she goes back inside the e-bar. Prisma stayed at the venue and kept having some drinks at the bar. Prisma's son Dominic was being cared for by a sitter, and sometime between 12 p.m. and a few hours later, there was an hour-long call that was made by Prisma to the sitter. The family has said that this call is strange because usually her calls to the babysitter would last like 10 minutes, so strange to suddenly have an hour phone call. Um, the sitter stated that the conversation was just about Prisma letting her know that she'd be picking up her son at the normal time that day, which clearly there was more to it than that. Mm. But I guess the only other know. explanation could be maybe if she didn't hang up the phone, but then you'd think the other person would have hung up the phone. But yeah, it seems very yeah. unusual. Seems like it's just info there, mm. not making public. Prisma stayed for three hours until the bartender cut her off and she was asked to leave. So she did. So between... 549-601, Prisba made nine calls on her cell phone. The second to last call was three minutes long, and she called her ex four times before that call and once after. So the way it's worded is a little confusing. Mm. But like, who who were the other calls to? Who was the three-minute long call to? I haven't been able to figure that out. Basically, there's a summary. Nine calls she made, five of them were to the boyfriend. So where, who were the other ones to? Yeah, it was he... And I don't think he was the three-minute-long one. No, it doesn't sound it. Because they specifically say that they should call him before and after that call. Yeah. Um, Four of those calls didn't last longer than a minute, so I don't know if that's counting, like, just it ringing and no one picking up or what. So after Prisma left the venue, she drove away in her white Jeep, which isn't great because I'm pretty sure she must have been pretty intoxicated to be drinking at the bar and be cut for off. three hours and be cut off and basically kicked out. The phone records tracked her initially heading back to Mesquite, but then she turned around and went back to Dallas. Prisma got into a road rage incident at this time. This is kind of like a weird to- side story, like all these things happening on this day. It's, yeah, yeah I think it just shows like her state of mind mm. too. According to a Dallas police report, three witnesses said a woman in a white Jeep pointed a gun at them. They got her license plate number and called the police. Prisma left the scene before police could arrive. Her next movements show her on CCTV arriving at the Olympus on Ross Apartments, which is now called the McAllen on Ross Apartments. And that's where her ex Ryan lived. The Detective said, so she runs through the gate and then goes to stand by the elevator. We spoke to everyone on her phone records list that she called leading up to her disappearance, and all of them told us that she sounded upset. Prisma is last seen on CCTV in the parking lot. 
we've got the CCTV on the blog. It's actually quite clear. She's wearing like a red T-shirt, looks like leggings and black sneakers. She's carrying a handbag. She's got a phone. It looks like she's talking to someone on the phone but holding it in front of her face, so not up to her ear. On speakerphone. Yeah, and then she's got like a lanyard that looks like keys. She kind of is like she's not standing still. She's moving around a lot. She does look very unsteady on her feet, like she's stumbling a little bit. Um, which makes sense, I guess, based on how much she apparently drank at the bar. But if you want to check out the CCTV of her, it's on the blog. goes for a minute. She's just standing there. She doesn't, like, move to go in the elevator or anything. She's just kind of standing there talking. And then in the last bit she kind of walks out of the scene of the camera, out of the frame of the camera, and that's it. So one call that she made was to a friend who was out of state and Prisma told the friend that she needed help, that she was confused, didn't feel right, and that something was not right with her. I'm curious if that was just she was more drunk than she Mm. expected to be or if something else was going on. Like Olivia just said, she seemed unsteady on her feet and then she kind of stumbles out of view and never to be seen again. Prisma was due to arrive at the sitter's place at 7.30 p.m. to pick up Dominic, and when she didn't arrive by 9.30, the sitter called the police to report her missing. Dallas police later found her white Jeep, which was left inside or near the parking garage, and the gun that was reportedly displayed in the road rage incident was inside also. Prisma's stepfather spoke to the media about Prisma's behavior on the day she vanished. He said, I'm just really, I'm at a loss. I don't know what was going through her head. I know they found the gun in her truck. Her stepdad also spoke about the last known images of Prisma on CCTV. He said, that's the biggest thing that's bothering me is how somebody just disappears like that. I mean, out of a building that has surveillance cameras and locked entrances. Police have said that Ryan wasn't home at the time that Prisma arrived at his address. And Mesky police said that they have ruled out everyone that she talked to that day as suspects, including Ryan. She never used her phone or her debit card or any of her credit cards after that day. Her stepfather spoke to the media again in 2022, which is three years after she disappeared. He said, ever since I started trying to find her and everything else, it's never been about finding her for me, for her mother, for her brothers or sister or nobody else, strictly for Dominic. Someday it'll all come out and we'll find her. Um, WFAA asked police in Mesquite, Texas, about the status of the case on April 17th, 2023. And they said that there are no pending or active leads at this time and that they'll continue to follow up on any possible information received and ask that if anyone has any information about her case to please contact the Mesquite Police Department. So seems like it has hit a dead end, unfortunately. I was reading in there's a group, a Facebook group for Prisma. I was reading some of the comments in that and they indicate that the police have said the case is actually inactive, which means that essentially they're not doing anything until someone gives them more information which it does like four years isn't that long but I guess maybe they really have exhausted every single lead they had and there isn't anything else they can do until someone comes forward with more information yeah just um because I can't like comprehend while I'm reading so was her car found still just like at the apartment so I have read she drove it again yeah no she didn't drive it again so as what I have read and if I am which I'm pretty sure I am interpreting it right, is that basically she drove to the apartment complex, got out where she was seen on CCTV, and then she never got back in the car. I have read some things that say the car was in the parking garage and other reports say that it was actually parked in a really weird spot and it was like blocking an entry or an exit, which kind of indicates that she didn't think she was going to be there for very long. 
Orders um, indicates how drunk she was. Yeah. So the car was essentially found at the McAllen on Ross um, apartments, which is where Ryan lived. Um, she, as far as I know, after she was seen on that CCTV at 6.01 or whatever time it was, never got back in the car. Yeah. I had a look where the McAllen and Ross apartments are. It's right basically in the middle of downtown Dallas. Um, Like I thought, maybe she wandered somewhere and got lost. You know, all that is around is like suburban city streets. Um, There's like a few little city parks, but, you know, nowhere close by is like there's a river and things, but I just feel like in the general vicinity of the apartments, there's nothing. It's just a city. She was on foot and mm. just like as drunk as she was or under the influence or feeling strange. Like how far could she have really gotten unless someone else she crossed paths with or something? And I just, you know, we, we always kind of joke, it's always the husband, it's always the boyfriend. And I really would have thought that was probably likely in this case, but police have said that he's been cleared. You know, yeah. he wasn't Especially- home at the time. I just think, well, once they've taken that off the table, I really actually have no idea what happened to her. And it's like just that she stopped using her phone around that time too it seems because you'd think if she ended up meeting up with him again like she would have used her phone again to yeah they don't contact him. there's no information about her phone records after that 601 p.m it's like it's almost like at 601 everything just stops yeah there are i know i have read some comments online about basically how arturo who was dominic's biological father had nothing to do with him until prisma disappeared and he filed for custody and all that like i don't like may like maybe that would be something to look into. As far as I have read, though, he isn't a suspect either. But um, I guess you know. I also just feel like if she's out, like her phone for anyone like that to find her, they would have had to call her. She's basically just out wandering around, unless he happened to live close by there because she couldn't use her car either. Mm. So it's just weird that. And even all the updates saying, like, random. that have come out because it's been three years and now four years. Like there's just it's no real information. It's just like yeah, we're still looking. There's just not a whole lot out there. Yeah. It just makes me wonder if she fell kind of in like some obscure place or something. Mm. If you I have followed the case and you do have a theory, let us know because I would like usually I have a pretty strong gut feeling. I really don't in this case. So another strange one. Hmm. Um, so the last case we're going to discuss is quite mysterious one. Again, it's very current. It only happened in June this year. It's about the case of Gwen Brunel, who's a 27-year-old woman. As the search for a missing Boise woman goes on, 27-year-old Gwendolyn Margaret Brunel was last seen around noon on Tuesday, June 27th at the Sinclair Station in Jordan Valley, Oregon. Police got a missing person call on June 28th, exactly a week ago today. Our Jude Binkley talked to the Malheur County Sheriff's Office about the search. Jude? Morgan, in a Facebook post, Brunel's family said she may have wandered from her car or was abducted, and her family says she may appear to be disoriented. The search has been centered around Sucker Creek Road in Malheur County, where her car was found abandoned on Friday. Out in the desert near the state border on Sucker Creek Road in Highway 95, the Malheur County Sheriff's Office found the abandoned car. One of our deputies ran the registration on that vehicle that returned as, you know, a missing person welfare check. Nobody was with the vehicle, and that's kind of when our involvement started. Involvement along with Malheur County Search and Rescue, Idaho Mountain Search and Rescue, the Ontario Fire Department and volunteers searching on foot, on horseback and in the sky. We've had 
uh, airplanes. We had a helicopter up today. We've had ground crews. One week into the search with more planned. Tomorrow we will have some other uh, search and rescue from Eastern Oregon coming down to assist us. The Malheur County Sheriff's Office has also been communicating with Boise police throughout the investigation. Their search has focused around the area where that 2008 Honda element was found. Our interest has really been around uh, the vehicle that we located. The evidence with the vehicle kind of indicated she was there at some point, so we're just really trying to search that area to see if we can locate her. A search that will continue until law enforcement clears that area around Sucker Creek Road, which could take some time. It's a, a big area, it's a rough, rough area, so it really takes a lot of work to say that you have cleared that area, so we really can't say we've cleared everything in that area, so that's where we are right now. She lived in Boise in Idaho. She's the only child of Andy and Betsy Brunel. And Gwen has a boyfriend who she's been seeing for six years. His name is Gerald Sanderson. Um, her dad and mum are very um, active on social media about the case. So I've linked their accounts in the blog if you want to go and check them out. And they've also got a page for Gwen called findgwen.com. So Gwen's hobby and passion was raising and showing rabbits, which is kind of a random very niche. Yeah, very niche. So I found an Instagram, which I'm pretty sure is her. It says, owner of 11 rabbits and ratties breeding and showing rabbits. Arba member, which I'm assuming is like a rabbit association. She hasn't posted on there since for 40 weeks, January. So it hasn't been active this year, but you can go and check out her rabbits and stuff on there. In 2007, she won a showmanship champion title at her first show at the Western Idaho Fair. She became a breeder and exhibitor competing in American Rabbit Breeders Association. I'm assuming that's what ARBA is. Um, shows mm -hmm. in 2011 at age 15, she was named the association's queen in the annual national competition. Gwen wrote about the honour and about her rabbits at the time. She said, every day when I go out to my rabbit tree, I see happy, excited rabbits thrilled to see me. It's so rewarding to set aside a quiet place for a doe and give her everything she needs until I find five fat, healthy babies in the next box. Her mother, Betsy, said she was really good at what she did. She was really devoted to the hobby and the craft. So Gwen worked on and off over the years to become certified as a rabbit judge. So this is like, you know, this isn't super important. Well, it does end up being important, but basically it just shows this devotion that she had to these rabbits and these animals. They were her whole entire life. Yeah. On Friday, June 23rd this year, 2023, Gerald got home from work and Gwen told him that she was going to drive to California. This was kind of news to him. He had no knew nothing about these plans. She told him that she was going to meet up with the nationally recognised rabbit judge in a small town east of Fresno. So I had a look on Google Maps. It says the drive would take around 11 to 12 hours. It would be around 700 miles. Gwen got ready over that weekend. She packed a bat. Uh, pa she packed a bag with a week's worth of clothes. On the Monday, which was June 26, she loaded up her 2008 Honda Element with three cages that housed her 11 rabbits. Gerald had been kind of talking back and forth with Gwen's dad, Andy. Andy told Gerald that he'd offered to drive with Gwen. And when Gwen and Gerald spoke about that offer, Gwen said that she'd already spoken to her dad and that she didn't need him to accompany her. But this turned out not to be true. And she actually didn't speak with her father about him coming on the trip. So seems like kind of she lied because she didn't want to have to tell her father no because maybe he would have insisted on going with her but that yeah ended, yeah ended up not being true 
So Gwen left on the trip at around 11 a.m. on Monday. She told Gerald that she had plans to possibly stop in Reno to break up the drive, which was around six and a half hours away from her house. Gerald said, she gave me a hug and she was heading out. And I said, I love you. Don't forget to text. So Gwen did take her phone with her. The battery wasn't charged very much at the time and it was running low. Her family have said that she would never, ever use her phone while she was driving and that she'd put her phone on the passenger seat or in her bag. Gerald said she doesn't touch her phone unless she has to when she's driving. But at some point that morning, the phone was switched off. Debit card records show that she stopped 20 miles away at a convenience store in Nampa. She can be seen on CCTV going into a store called Jackson's where she purchased some snacks. When Gerald later looked at the footage, he noticed something strange. He said when she left Boise, she'd been wearing a blue shirt and Nike tennis shoes. But at Jackson's, she was wearing knee-high dress boots and a red shirt. The blue shirt was later found in her duffel bag. It didn't have any stains or anything on it. You know, there was no reason why she would have changed it in terms of those circumstances. But I'm more curious about the outfit. Like, was it a hot outfit? Was she dressed up? Like, or was it just casual Mm. boots, like riding boots that you just wear? Because, like, you can have a casual outfit with knee-high boots or you could have, like, a a hot outfit with – knee-high boots and a red shirt because they do find boots later which we'll get into but I've never heard if they are the same boots she was wearing I'm assuming I'm just wondering like did it look like she was dressing Mm. up for something or someone Mm. so they have never found her Nike shoes though um Gwen was seen on the CCTV at Jackson's three hours after she left her home so that means though she only traveled 20 miles in that time this kind of reminds me of Bryce Lespizer. I don't know if you remember his case. He was all over the place driving home and never made it either. Yeah. Where Gwen went after Jackson's is unclear. Her father texted her at 2 p.m. and he got no response. Gerald also texted her at around 2.30 and got no reply. Gerald texted her again that night and he assumed that she'd reached Reno. After midnight, he sent another one text and just before 2 a.m. he sent another one and he got no answer. So when Gwen hadn't replied to anyone by Tuesday, Gerald told her parents that he wasn't able to contact her and her father, Andy, reported her missing to the Boise Police Department. The agency entered her into a national database the following day. Um, Gwen is said to have required medication for unspecified mental health conditions, and this was noted on her missing persons report. There's been a lot of um, articles that say that Gwen suffered from mood swings. I've never, ever seen her actual condition mentioned all the medication that she was taking mentioned either on tuesday at around 9 30 a.m her mother reached out to the california judge to see if he'd heard from her about the rabbits he hadn't and he said he had never heard from her and hadn't been expecting her to visit so that's another Hmm. interesting part to the story so gwen popped back up on the radar on tuesday at around 12 p.m she pulled into jim sinclair in jordan valley oregon and she pumped around 13 gallons of gas This looks to be around 80 minutes or 65 miles from Jackson's where she'd been the day before. So again, what was she doing the rest of that time? My gas station manager asked Gwen how she was going and she said she was, quote, in a hurry. Her her uncle, John Brunel, later calculated that based on the elements mileage, Gwen had covered 290 miles by that point. So when you factor in 80 miles from Boise to Jordan Valley, Andy said his daughter might have burned the other fuel driving to the border town of McDermott in Nevada, possibly decided to cancel her trip and then doubling back. So I guess they looked how far she could have gone and then back at that point. After she got gas, Gwen drove across a parking lot and she pulled into the front of the adjacent Mrs. Z's convenience store. She went into the store and asked for a razor blade and when she was told they had none, she bought a gallon of water and some peanuts for $9.26. 
she then went outside and sat in her car. She was still sitting there an hour later and the attendant became concerned. She went out and asked if Gwen needed any help. Gwen said that she was fine and didn't need anything and that was according to the sheriff's report. I wonder if she seemed distressed or something. Like in some sort of way, because I feel like an hour really isn't like that long to sit outside in your car. Like sometimes I'll just sit outside in my car somewhere for around that long on my lunch break or something. And I don't think it's weird. Mm. Like maybe the fact that she asked for a razor blade is a little (laughs) alarming, but. So I also thought the razor blade thing was alarming because I'm like, what could she possibly want that for? But her mother said that Gwen can get shaky if she misses medication and that she may have been eating the snacks in the parking lot and waiting to settle down. And she also said that Gwen used to use razor blades sometimes to cut her medication in half. So I guess Mm -hmm. could be explainable. Later that day, a rancher pulled off US Highway 95 around 17 miles north of Jordan Valley. So this rancher was there basically all the time. This is just saying that this is one one date that week that he pulled in. He went onto a well-used gravel gravel, (laughs) gravel road that led to the scenic Leslie Gulch. He stopped at a graveled parking area, which was less than half a mile off the highway to make a call, and he said at that time no other vehicles were there. The following day, Wednesday, at around 11 a.m., a UPS route driver pulled into the same gravel parking area. He said that he would often go there to eat his lunch. That was kind of where he'd drive to and sit and eat. He noticed that there was a Honda Element parked there, which we now know was Gwen's car. The UPS driver returned the following day, and he noticed that the Honda was still there. The rancher said that after he was there the first time too, he drove by the area every day and the Honda was there until Friday, June 30, which is when they kind of called it in. Mm. On that Friday night, Sheriff's Deputy Mike Hale was dispatched to check on a report of an elderly man who was in the area. At around 10.30 that night, the deputy went to where the graveled area was and saw there was two vehicles there. One of the vehicles I saw was um, registered to people who were bird watching but the other vehicle was Gwen's. When he ran the plates, Gwen's missing person report popped up and he realised that this was probably related to her case. Deputy Hale started searching the area in the dark for Gwen. Not far from the Honda, searchers later found a purple bathrobe that she wore around home. It appeared folded as if someone had formed it into a cushion to sit on. Next to it was the water that she'd bought at the store in Jordan Valley and it was half empty. So when they looked in Gwen's car, it was unlocked and the windows were down. By then, though, five of her 11 rabbits had perished because they'd been left in the car in 95-degree heat. So I feel like that is very, very unusual behaviour for someone who is coherent and loves those rabbits more than anything Yeah, definitely. Um, Police called Gwen's parents the next day to let them know that the car had been found and that Gwen was still missing. The ignition key was inside as well as her bag, her driver's licence and her credit cards. Her phone and the Nike shoes that she had worn were missing. There's a, the website Find Gwen is really good. They've got comprehensive information about it. And this is what they said was actually found in the car. They said leather shoulder bag containing wallet and all known credit cards, driver's license and other ID cards. There was no cash in the wallet. Travel bags containing clothing and personal items packed for the trip. It is unknown if any items were missing from these bags. Empty soft drink cans and two wrappers from protein bars. Three cages containing a total of 11 show rabbits, a water trough shared by the rabbits, and approximately one week's worth of food for the rabbits. So a large-scale search was launched for Gwen. There's a really good article from Oregon Live, and this info is from that. 
It says at daylight, the sheriff's office launched a search. Search and rescue members were joined by two private airplanes. Two local ranch hands on horseback explored the area. On Sunday, they joined. Did, they conducted a more intense search using 12 searches, a heat sensing drone, and trained trackers and dogs from Idaho Mountain Rescue. Two days later, Gwen's relatives and three dogs participated in a search organized by a deputy. When the search stopped, the deputy kept going and he covered six more miles. The deputy returned the following day aboard a helicopter. They flew along Dry Creek Canyons and buzzed ranch buildings in the search for Gwen. On Thursday, July 6, teams that are part of Eastern Oregon's search and rescue committed to the largest effort involving 100 people. Um, in all, searches walked 300 miles, but Gwen was not found and the search for her was suspended on July 10. On September 10, Gwen's T-shirt was found snagged on barbed wire around one mile away from where her car was found. The sheriff said the shirt was wadded up and it was probably blown into the fence. Sheriff Travis Johnson said, we'll be focusing our search out from the area where the shirt was found in the fence. This confirms that she's most likely up that way rather than considering her being abducted. At the end of September, a helicopter spotted more of Gwen's belongings. Her boots, which I wonder if they were the same boots that she wore in that footage, and Mm -hmm. her socks were found around one and a half miles away from her car. They did another search for her at that time, but Sheriff Johnson said, unfortunately, we didn't find her. So there's photos of the boots. I haven't seen a photo of the T-shirt that they found on the barbed wire, but the photo of the boots, they're kind of piled up on top of each other. Like it looks like maybe a Christmas, red Christmas sock. It's just like piled up in kind of a messy pile. Like they're not neatly laid out or anything like that. Yeah, they're definitely Christmas socks because it looks like they have Santas or snowmen on them. Yeah, and the boots, if they are the boots, they're just like riding boots basically. They're not Not like like hot, sexy boots. boots. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so Gerald insists that Gwen would never have left her rabbits to die in the car. He said if she left those rabbits there, she meant to come back soon after. She raised all those since they were babies. Gwen's parents have looked through, I guess she kept writings and journals. They said over the past year, we have noticed that some of Gwen's writings showed some delusional thinking and paranoia. We are not certain, but we think this could have affected her trip and the disappearance. Andy, her dad said, maybe that was sort of a head fake that she had something I don't know if that really means a head fake, but anyway. <laughs> I was hoping you knew what that meant. No, because that's like a direct <laughs> quote. Um, he yeah. said, maybe that was sort of a head fake that she had something arranged and left with someone. Anything's possible. It's truly a mystery. So Betsy, her mother, is a psychiatric nurse, and she leans towards the fact that Gwen is probably out there and has likely succumbed to the elements. She said that her daughter may have suffered a mental health crisis she said, I have just not sensed a presence of her on this earth. It's just like a mum thing. But she did say if she's alive, that would be fantastic. If she's not, hopefully we can bring her back and have closure. I just, I feel like this is likely a mental break scenario. Um, yeah. That maybe she did think she was going somewhere with the rabbits and it just, her mental health deteriorated so much more along the way that she either walked and got lost I really feel like if she was in her right mind she wouldn't have left those rabbits yeah that either she thought she had a plan or she knew she was leaving on purpose Mm. and that's why she lied about the bunnies because she would not leave without her bunnies like if I was gonna suddenly run away somewhere or something happened where I felt like I needed to leave my life behind I love my cats so much. I don't think I could leave them. I'd, I'd probably take them with me. And even how she lied to her boyfriend about saying, telling her dad that he didn't need to come on the trip when that had never happened. Like I feel like she had some type of plan 
Yeah, um, like she started lying immediately and turned off her phone and yeah. changed her outfit very quickly. Yeah, that's true. So I do feel that Gwen's mother is likely right and she perished out there like, you know, July. No, sorry, it was June. So June, July out there would be very, very hot. Um, she didn't have much water with her. She left the gallon of half gallon of water behind. I'm assuming she didn't have any more. So I don't think she could have survived for very long out there. And even if maybe she originally left with some sort of plan or was doing something and then maybe just not having her medication and like the plan didn't work out. Maybe she was having her medication like that she had. Maybe that also sent her into kind of like a further spiral. But I do think considering she went through the effort of bringing all these bunnies with her, I don't think she left them purposefully in the car and did plan on coming back to the car. Like, if you love your bunnies that much, you're not going to leave them to die a horrible death in a fucking hot car. No, I agree. So I think she wandered off and something must have happened or she got lost. She could have even become injured. Like, maybe she fell. Yeah, got hurt, fell. And that's why she couldn't get back for the rabbits. Um, But I do think that she is likely deceased, unfortunately. Yeah. I agree, sadly. It's a, it's a weird case with a lot of random pieces. Like the rabbits are just another side piece that you don't hear of often. But I do feel like the love that she had for those rabbits is evident and that she wouldn't have left them if she didn't have to or didn't feel that she had to, for example. I know I've said this many times before and I'm sure the police have like looked into it. But I just always, with things like this, with any of the cases – Maybe not Prisma so much because she was drunk, but like what were their Google searches leading up to this? Mm. Like if I was doing something like this, like going on a trip or leaving, like you would look something up, something like travel, where you're going, people you talk to. As far as I can tell, Gwen, either she's taken it down or she doesn't have a Facebook. She does have what I believe is that Instagram that is hers. Um, she has an old Instagram that says, I forgot my password, so I can't delete this account that it has no posts. So she doesn't have a very big social media presence to kind of go back from, I guess. But yeah, I'd love to know more about what she did on Google. Um, like, I don't know why she picked that story to tell about the judge. I guess that would give her a week. Um, or however in a way to bring the rabbits with her because yeah, she's like oh yeah. i'm going away like why else is she bringing 11 rabbits yeah true where no one would question her she did seem from like obviously i I don't know much about her but just from what i've seen she seemed very naive and innocent yes also. i agree sheltered i don't know like we said we don't know what her what she was taking medication for but she did seem a little sheltered and innocent There is a Pinterest account for Gwen Brunel. I am pretty sure it is this Gwen Brunel because there's a photo and it looks exactly like her. She's got a Pinterest board called Mental Health Isn't My Forte, But I'm Trying. And so in it she has um, mental illness and relationships, shame, boundaries, self-reflection, tools to help, vulnerability, and tapping. So I feel like she struggled a lot with her mental health and mental illness like there's an article from the Idaho statement statesman again it doesn't say what her mental health conditions were but it says that she took medications to temper me- mental conditions that could make her moody or inattentive i wonder if her condition or if she was just someone who was more vulnerable and could have been also easily easily manipulated if she did cross paths with the wrong type of person or like if someone tricked her kind of into 
leaving for some reason but i'm sure hopefully police would be able to like find stuff like that if she was having communication with someone there's even an interesting article on median medium that someone called john rachel wrote it's called a hop along friend the story of gwen brunel this is from 2015 this so it's a long time ago but it goes in about gwen and her rabbits and then it talks about um kind of her anxiety as well in the in the article, so it talks about, you know, how she was sick. It says things like she finally felt normal. So she's obviously been struggling with these types of issues for a long time. Hmm. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get an answer for that one. I'm very mm. curious what happened. There are, like, there are parts of it that remind me a lot of, like, even Daniel Robinson, um, mm-hmm. Bryce Pizza, as I said. There's, yeah, I guess it happens quite commonly, yeah. sadly, is that people – have some type of mental break and just aren't found or aren't found for a very long time. Hopefully we'll get an update on that one, um, post about it if we do. Yep. But that is it for this episode in these cases. Everything we talked about will be on our blog if you want to see any pictures or anything like that uh, at truecrimesocietyblog.com. Like we mentioned at the start, follow us on Instagram true crime society we have our personal accounts mine is steph sum underscore olivia's is tcs olivia now check out what we're doing um there's our patreon if you want to hear any episodes ad free and we release them a little bit earlier and the other stuff we mentioned at the start share the podcast with your friends your family anyone who likes true crime that would be a big help to us and leave us some nice comments and make sure you're following us on Spotify or whatever platform you listen on. It is a very small thing to do that is a huge help to us when you're actually following or subscribed. So easy way to support the show. But to that is it. And thank you guys for listening. Stay safe out there. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. See ya. Bye. Peace out. I always say peace out and I didn't. (laughs) Peace out. (laughs) People's distracting me. Okay, bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.